I'm Peter Markham, the Head of Digital at the College, and I'm with Owen Bailey. This is a podcast about gambling addiction and the stigma uh, around gambling addiction. It's the second in a series of podcasts about stigma. Owen, when did you start gambling? That's a really good question. I think when I flip back to my period of growing up, I my mum used to work in pubs as a barmaid and I remember spending some time with her and so <clears throat> my first recollection of gambling was, was seeing the fruit machines in the pubs. At the time they used to play out, pay out tokens and I think I do recall one, on one or two occasions, on a few occasions where I was able to play them. Uh, so that's my first introduction to gambling and I think, you know, a lot like most families do I guess, I'm assuming, um, I lived quite close to a seaside town, quite a well-known seaside town, and every summer I visited Skegness on the Lincolnshire coast, and I used to visit the arcades, used to spend some time playing on the one and two penny shoves, and there was fruit machines there, and I felt, I remember feeling really excited about wanting to play on the fruit machines, and because I was allowed, legally and by my parents, I remember having a few experiences playing on fruit machines that are known now as Category D machines. Fruit machines, which basically um, young people below the age of 18 are legally allowed to gamble on. So, so that's my first, my first few experiences of gambling. And I think I recall later on in my teenage years, I developed this thirst for gambling. And I remember on a couple of occasions wanting to try and see if I can access an adult gaming centre, an amusement arcade, which is found in most towns throughout the country, and play on fruit machines and get away with it. So that's pretty much my, my early experiences. So you're starting to touch on this, but when did you notice your gambling was becoming a problem for you? When did I notice my gambling starting to become a problem? I, it must have been around when I was about 15 or 16 and I began to, I'd been excluded from my fourth secondary school um, because there's lots of issues um, growing up as a teenager and I had started work and I recall vividly that every time I got my wages, pretty much from the word go, I would be consumed with this excitement and all I'd want to do was go to an amusement arcade in the town and see if I can beat this fruit, th these particular fruit machines. I had one or two favourite fruit machines I wanted to play and I found myself just gambling until every penny was gone and so pretty much from the word go I fell into this habitual pattern this pattern of behaviour which eventually became very habitual and very routine, very familiar, whereby I'd go in, get paid, go into the amusement arcades, playing on the fruit machines until every last penny has gone. And to me, that that raised a few questions, you know, um, to begin with. Yeah. Okay. And, and what age were you there? I was about 15 or 16. And I think when I reflect back on that period, I've done, I've done a lot of reflecting on my life since getting, since access and treatment when I was 20, and I'll come on to this a little bit later on. I think <clears throat> I found it very difficult to socialise and make friends. 
because of because of my history. I, I lost a, I had no confidence. I, I had no self-esteem. And so I found a lot of solace in gambling. It felt very comfortable being in front of a fruit machine. It felt very, very safe, you know, and com- compared to, say, putting myself at risk and try and make 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 friends. But at the same time, you know, when I reflect back on the people who I was associating with as a teenager, you know, my, 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 my acquaintances were very threatening. There was a lot of risk there. I was bullied. I was, I was, I felt ostracized. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, so, so gambling, at a very young age, felt very safe. Okay, that, that that's interesting and and worrying in a way. Um, so, did you seek any help? You must have done at some stage. You've already said. And then, what were the challenges around seeking help? Well, I didn't begin to seek help until much later, until I was 20. Um, and I think between what I've just spoken about and the point in which I began to seek help, a lot of other things happened. I, I haven't mentioned yet, but I, mentioned, I met my dad for the first time when I was, again, when I was 16, ironically, coincidentally, on Grand National Day. Mm. You know, and, and for me, being a young boy growing up with no father-like figure, and to dream, to fantasise about meeting my dad and to actually meet him when I was 16, you know, this is, this is a big deal for, for, for a teenager. And I met him for the first time on Grand National Day. And yeah, I don't know, there's something quite symbolic in this. And I think, you know, I remember sitting down with my dad and my mother and we watched the Grand National. He, my dad had placed a bet and the, the horse had won. And he gave me some winnings. And I think this, to me, probably subconsciously affirmed that gambling was okay. My dad has done it, and so it's okay to gamble kind of thing. So I think there's something really important in that experience. And I think, you know, a couple of years later, I decided to try and build a relationship with my dad. So I moved to the town he was living in. Unfortunately, I didn't realise to the full extent at the time, but my dad also had a history of gambling and he was having serious problems with gambling as well and my dad as well as making me feel that gambling was okay my dad also introduced me to casino gambling and so this was the start of me playing roulette and frequenting casinos and yeah no it was, it, it was really quite a it was an exciting t- period but ultimately, it led to a lot of problems. Um, I remember one Christmas when I went into a casino. I had planned to visit my mum and my family in Lincolnshire. I went to this casino in Birmingham. And I went in with uh, just a, a modest amount of money, a couple of hundred pounds. And very quickly, I had a succession of reasonably side wins. And it carried on, you know, I couldn't stop winning. And I remember I got into a position where I was placing a lot of high stakes on on the roulette table. And I was winning and losing, winning and losing, but I didn't seem to be losing overall. And I was was chasing this particular number. And eventually this number came in and I I won a significant amount of money. For the first time in my life, I had a very significant big win. 
And this experience, it, the, the potency, the, the, the feelings I got from that experience of having that big win was, was incredibly significant. Again, like meeting my father, I had always dreamt, I'd always fantasised about having this big win, and I'd, I'd achieved it that night. And I've never felt anything like it. In an instant, you know, I had options which I'd never even contemplated before. I was thinking, you know, I could do this, I could do that. You know, I felt very powerful. I was filled with confidence. I was, I felt amazing. I had a great Christmas, but the, 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 the knock-on effects of that big win were disastrous. What happened was, was I believed that if I could win big win, if I could win big ones, I can do that again. So I found myself gambling a lot more dangerously, a lot more chaotically. And it was just, I was just totally consumed in gambling. I could not stop thinking about it at all. And so what happened eventually was I ended up gambling all of my money, all of my winnings, all of my savings. And I remember this moment. I remember this particular event very, very lucidly, if, that, if, I, if I'm able to say that. I was in the same casino one evening with my last bit of money, and I had managed to recoup some losses. I chased my losses, managed to recoup some of my losses. I went to cash my, my chips. I went to walk out, and I caught sight of a roulette terminal as I walked out. I decided I made a split decision to, to, to have one last bet and within about 20 minutes I'd lost all of that money and I'll, I'll never forget how painful that experience was to, to think that just a month or so before I had won all of this money, felt very very powerful, I had options I'd never even encountered before and now here I am totally penniless. I walked out of that casino completely numb to my surroundings. You know, I was, I was. It felt as though the wind had been taken out of me. I'd been winded. I felt sick. I felt nauseous. I just didn't know how to to, to respond to to this sudden dramatic change in my circumstances. It was almost as if the roller coaster ride had come to an abrupt, sudden stop. You know, it's incredibly painful. This experience triggered triggered a desire in me to want to run away um, and so I decided, I made the decision to to basically run away, I decided to go tra and travel, this, I, I bought into this idea of wanting to go and travel so I bought a ferry ticket and my plan was to, to go to Europe and find some work and travel around Europe just as any young lad would aspire to do. So in that process I quit my home I left my job and with my last bit of salary and my ferry ticket I I boarded the ferry I was feeling really excited you know um, and I was, slowly, I was slowly coming to terms with um, the big heavy loss and I, it's, it just makes me feel quite unwell thinking about it now but um, on, on the during the crossing, I discovered there was a small casino area and there's a roulette table. And straight away, I was, I was overwhelmed with a, a real strong craving to gamble. And that's what I did for the duration of the journey. For the duration of the crossing, I, I gambled. And sadly, you know, I, we, we boarded the 
in the hook of Holland, and all I left was sixty euros. So here I am in a faraway situation. You know, I'm in a foreign country. I've left my home. I've left my job, and I have no money. Yes. So that is a really bad episode, and yeah, um, after spending a couple of weeks um, sleeping rough in in Holland, I, I spent a day in the British consulate in Amsterdam and I spent a day talking to them and explaining my situation and they was kind enough to give me some money to get back to the UK. I was faced with the very real prospect of being street homeless in London. I didn't want that experience. Um, the bus I was on um, stopped off at Canterbury and I decided to get off there. Um, it was a cold winter's night felt totally lost, very down, very depressed, very low, very sullen. Um, so yeah, that was a really bad time. And so I decided to approach, find the nearest homeless shelter and I did exactly that. And this marked the next seven years of my journey, I suppose. Um, but being, being homeless, I was exposed to a lot of people who had a lot of problems with mental health, with drugs, with alcohol, and other problems. And I found myself gravitating to those people who were drinking heavily on the streets. And I think I, again, through, through a, a desire to escape probably, I began to drink very heavily and very quickly I became very alcohol dependent. It was then when I began to experience physical withdrawals from alcohol, when I was able to access uh, community-based face-to-face -face support. And so that was my, my beginning of what has been to date over 15 years worth of engaging in drug, alcohol and gambling treatment, community-based and residential. So, just going back to the point when I began to access um, treatment for my alcohol, it was sitting down in front of uh, a therapist, the, the first of many, the first of many hours of conversations I've had with um, therapists, when it dawned on me that actually I have some very serious addiction problems here, you know, and I have an alcohol problem, I have a serious gambling problem. If I'm to have some kind of future, I need to... I need to stop gambling, I need to stop drinking. So have there been any effects on your your mental health and your well-being because of your gambling? It sounds like the answer is yes. Yes, and yet very much so, absolutely. Um, focusing on the gambling. It, it's, it's had a devastating effect on my mental health and well-being. Um, I'm just trying to think. You know, it, it has. It's almost as if, you know, gambling by, by gambling and gambling in a very pathological, very unhealthy way. The effects that gambling has had, or the the, the times I have gambled when I've gambled all of my money and neglected my living needs and I've done that plenty of times you know I've gambled when I should have been paying my rent and and buying myself food I, I, it's the, the impact that has 
has has been devastating. I, I I really believe that you know, in the throes of a gambling problem, the the, the consequences of actually having a serious gambling loss is 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 very traumatic. And I think, as as consequence of many gambling losses I've had, I've, I've often felt traumatised and very distressed and found it very difficult to cope. It it knocks my self-esteem, what self-esteem I've had. It knocks my confidence. I fall into a pit of depression. I just close down, you know. So, so, so the effects of gambling upon my well-being has been devastating. And it takes a long time for that confidence and the self-esteem to to come back up but again when I'm in the throes of it you know as much as it might improve very marginally my self-esteem my esteem and my my confidence within the period until I next get paid um, it soon gets knocked back down again because every time I have had money in my hand or I've had access to money through being paid I'm consumed with this urge to gamble and it, it induces feelings, physical sensations of feeling very, very tense. And they, they, these urges, these cravings to gamble are extremely, extremely, extremely powerful. And in the early days of trying to resist these urges, in the early days of trying to figure out how I can work with these urges and get through them without needing to gamble, I felt the only way to deal with this tension and this urge what was to actually gamble because every time I was in front of a fruit machine all that tension all of that all of that mental challenging in my head just disappeared you know so 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 gambling was almost like a, a medicine in a way in the early days of trying to reduce all of that tension I was experiencing um, yeah the the long-term effects of gambling upon my my well-being and mental health are disastrous because it has it has it has a knock-on effect in the way that I've been gambling problematically for so so long, and obviously aspects of my life get neglected: my relationships, my finances, opportunities I've lost as a consequence of my gambling. Um, in my workplace, you know, having to deal with the emotional consequence of my gambling has, has, has a direct effect upon how I am, how I feel, how I interact with others in the workplace. And so my relationships in my workplace has suffered. And all of this, all of this has a very slow and very corrosive effect upon, upon, upon me, really. Um, so, so, yeah, the, the effects of having a gambling problem, in my experience, have been extremely profound after all that what what has helped you to stop gambling yeah um, I think I mentioned a few minutes ago a few moments ago that I developed an alcohol problem and I began to access community-based treatment that was 15 years ago and for 15 years I have tried to overcome many of my addictive behaviours, gambling being my main one, alcohol being another one, 
as well as other as, as well as periodic um, drug use and of course smoking it's been a very very long journey extremely long journey I've had to go through a process of learning how to cope with thoughts urges and cravings to gamble that in itself has been incredibly demanding um, I've also had to become self-aware in terms of my thoughts, my emotions, um, my behaviour, and and yeah, that that has that hasn't happened overnight. That's been a process that has taken many, many, many years, and it's taken a lot of talking on a one-to-one -one basis with therapists. But I've also spent many many hours in in groups where i've spoken about my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts within groups and i think that's been incredibly valuable um, um i've it it pains me to say that when i first tried to get some space between me and gambling because it was automatic to begin with as soon as i would have a thought a thought urge or crave it would be automatic there'd be no resistance there I'd have this thought, this urge, this craving, and I'd gamble. So I've had to learn to create some distance between these thoughts, urges, and cravings, and the act of gambling. That has taken some time and effort. And so I've had to develop strategies and tools to, to resist get these gambling urges by developing delaying tactics and developing alternative ways of behaving. So instead of going straight to gambling behavior I will think of doing something else so that might be for example it might be phoning a friend um, and saying look mate I'm really really struggling here I'm, I'm I really want to gamble but I don't so so that's often been really quite helpful um, yeah yeah so it's been a quite long process to be honest I remember when I remember again. I remember really vividly when I first stopped gambling. I encountered this void, this complete emptiness. And dealing with this emptiness, this this was totally unexpected. But it's incredibly, incredibly painful. I remember it was when I realised that gambling had consumed me so much. It totally dominated and took over every aspect of my life. So take away the gambling. I liken it to having a very premature, very early identity crisis. It's like, you know, take away the gambling, take away my identity. Like, who am I? Who is Owen? So that was really difficult for me to deal with this period. And so that, that brought about its own challenges. It's like, what do I do? How do I fill this void, this really deep vacuum? And so I had to go through a process of developing new interests, developing new hobbies um, and getting around people and trying to fill that up. Again, that is, that is a process that has taken years to achieve. Um, and whilst I was struggling with that, I often found it very easy to, to, to lapse and relapse. I've had a number of very serious relapses in those 15 years and I do believe that for some people learning to deal with lapses and 
developing the resilience, the strength to prevent these lapses from developing into anything further, anything like relapses. I think that in itself is a skill that can be developed, but developed only with time and experience. And sadly, I think, you know, with relapses, it's learning how to, to come back from those, picking myself up and dusting myself off and reviewing the relapse, what happened prior, during and after, and looking at what I can take from that in order to try and apply that knowledge, that learning, to try and prevent a repeat of um, that cycle that happened again. So, so yeah, it's um, it's been a very long journey, as I keep mentioning. It's, uh, it's been very, very tough. I think the turnaround for me was when I began to attend the National Problem Gambling Clinic. It was a brilliant move on my part. And I just want to say, sort of like, the, the only reason I managed to find out about the National Problem Gambling Clinic was because of my dad. I mentioned earlier that my dad had I met him for the first time on Grand National Day and that he introduced me to casinos. Well, it was my dad who introduced me to the National Problem Gambling Clinic. So again, that's another. I think that's another quite interesting part of part of my story, which I always like to try and include. Um, so, so yeah, I approached the National Problem Gambling Clinic. This was when I was 30 years old, 10 years after trying to get into recovery using utilizing what community-based sources there were, which were primarily primarily focused on drugs and alcohol. So, so yeah, I went through the referral process and. The National Problem Gambling Clinic, they offer a small range of psychodynamic interventions, um, CBT group therapy being one. And I joined this CBT group, which was very interesting. For the first time, I met people who, like me, had very serious gambling problems. And this was completely new, a new experience for me. I'd met, I'd met many people who had alcohol problems, who had drug problems. That was fantastic. But it wasn't until I was in a space where I was with other gamblers and where the CBT program was refined, but more bespoke to, and tailored to, very specifically towards the, the particular needs of gamblers. And I found myself very receptive to that. And the course lasted for eight weeks. And within those eight weeks, I we was we was introduced to a lot of strategies and tools that, I'd, that I had familiarity with, with most of them. But it was really helpful to know that I could apply these particular techniques directly to my gambling. And it's also helped to explore some of these techniques with other people um, within the course as well, as well as consult with the facilitators who, who had a lot of understanding um, around gambling-related harm as well. So that's a brilliant experience. and. For the first, I completed the course, and for the first time after 10 years, I managed to stop gambling and stay stopped for a significant period of time. So that's a really good um, experience for me. My, my journey doesn't stop there. That was five, well, I'm just trying to think. It was, I think it's 2011 I went to the National Problem Gambling Clinic, so that would be seven years ago. Um, so, so, yeah, a lot have happened since then. Um, yeah, a lot has happened since then, and uh, yeah, yeah. You've told me before we started recording that you you now haven't haven't gambled 
for several months, which is which is great. And it, as you said, it's been a long road. Um, during that time, because we are here to talk about stigma um, associated with addictions as well, to what extent do you think there's a stigma attached to having a gambling problem? There is a huge stigma, massive, and it it is um, a huge problem. It's, it's 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 absolutely massive. I can't emphasise that enough. I can't. I'm just trying to find the words just to magnify the 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 the, 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 the how how big stigma is. I can't, I can't get my words out. I can't find the words. So I do apologise. Um, it's massive. And I th- believe that it is because of the stigma around having a gambling problem that prevents a lot of people from reaching out for help and asking for help and seeking out support. It's incredibly, from, I can only speak from my experience, but also I can speak from the point of view that in those 15 years I have met hundreds, if not thousands of people who have had gambling problems and other addiction problems as well. It seems very common that a person usually finds it incredibly difficult to, to, to ask for help because there's a huge amount of fear attached with being open and honest about their gambling problem. And that's something I can identify with because I've experienced that firsthand myself. It's, it's debilitating, you know, the, the, the stigma. Um, there's a lot of fear. A lot of fear on how I'm going to be judged, what people are going to think, you know, p- how people are going to react. And it's sad because that fear has prevented me from being open and honest in the past. And because I struggle to be open and honest about and very frank about my gambling problem, that allows has allowed my gambling behaviour to carry on undetected, um, unchallenged, unaccounted for. It's a really big problem, stigma, um, and I'm hoping that by doing what I'm doing today, by talking to you um, about my own experience with gambling and other stuff I do within the media where I share my story, I'm hoping to do my little bit um, and challenge the stigma around gambling. Um, it's something that needs to be addressed. I think socially, as a society, we are quite ignorant to the, the, the effects gambling can has on the individual, but not just the individual, families and the workplace. We, I think as a society we need to understand more, be less ignorant towards the fact that actually, yes, gambling is a problem, can become a problem and become and can become a very serious problem like those people that suffer from drug or alcohol problem, just because it's a behavioural addiction, it doesn't mean it's anything less. In fact, I believe in some in some cases, you know, having a gambling problem can be just as bad, if not worse, because gambling can remain hidden for many, many years undetected, you know, um, and a lot of damage can be done in that time. So, going back to the stigma, yeah, it's... Um, I think it just seems it just seems a little bit funny that you know if if I was to say to you that I've won two or three grand today you know you know that's a lot more well received it's like 
well done, Owen. Oh, you, you won. Fantastic. What are we going to do? But if I was to say to you, look, I've lost two or three thousand pounds. It's like, oh my God, how have you done that? You know, mm. it's, you fool. That's stupid. You know, how could you have done that? Why, you know, that, that kind of that kind of response, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 something that needs to be addressed, I think, and and sooner the better. Um, yeah, I've got a final question, and it seems that no one would be in a better position to answer it than you. Based on your personal experience, what information would you offer to anyone who's affected by their gambling problem or somebody else's gambling problem? Reflecting on my own experience and again having met many, many people who've had gambling problems. I would say that no matter how distressed, how traumatized, how depressed you are, no matter how trapped you feel, no matter how bad you feel things are, um, I want people to understand that no matter how difficult things are, things can and will get better. I've visited a number of dark places in my time through gambling, extremely dark places where I felt very depressed and suicidal. And I know what it's like to experience suicidal thinking, particularly suicide ideation. And I've been in that dark place where I felt very trapped and feeling as though my whole world has just totally collapsed around me. And so I really want to reach out to those people that are struggling today and say, look, no matter how things bad are, things can and will improve. You know, all that I would ask people to do is I'd really ask people to confront that fear and, and reach out to whoever. I had a crisis back in early March and through, through gambling. Uh, there was other things that went on as well, but I, I managed to reach out, and I reached out to anyone and everyone who I could speak to. I reached out to my GP, I reached out to mental health services, homeless centres, drug and alcohol services, people from Gamblers Anonymous, people through um, past um, treatment providers that I'd engaged in, and... I believe that reaching out for help and even just telling one person, it might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be just a stranger, just by telling someone can relieve that burden you're feeling so, so much. And it will, yeah, it will it'll help you feel better. And I would certainly recommend and advise you to reach out to any organisations that offer um, gambling help so I'd recommend that you contact the National Problem Gambling Clinic I'd recommend that you phone the National Problem Gambling Helpline I'd recommend you seek um, your local Gamblers Anonymous meeting and uh, yeah it's uh, yeah <laughs> there's, there's a lot more I could say but I think I've probably said enough
Thank you, Owen.